The Apostle Paul warns us that we are in a strategic spiritual battle. When Satan hurls his fiery darts at your life, do you have a shield? What about your helmet and your sword? Flip over in your Bible to Ephesians 6 and then listen as Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, helps us know how to be equipped for the fight this week. We want you to know that you're in a battle. And, you know, since I was a little kid, the story of Camelot, the story of King Arthur and his knights has been one of the stories that's, that's part of my upbringing. Hollywood has done it again. One of the big films is called King Arthur, a really creative title. And it supposedly tells you the truth about King Arthur, and I wouldn't count on that. But one of the things that the movie does do is it shows you like Hadrian's Wall, which was the northern barrier of the Roman Empire. A lot of you might not realize, but if you go to England, like Mary has actually, I didn't get to go down, but Mary went with some friends and saw the Roman ruins of Roman legions that were in Rome and the cities that they built. And Hadrian's Wall was the northern barrier. And in the modern Hollywood version, they have King Arthur being one of these native people that's been garrisoned into the Roman army and the Saxons attack and they're flooding in from the north and you see the Saxons just spread over the battlefield like locusts and King Arthur and his warriors are going to try, they're joining with another group of native Britons and they're going to try to stop these Saxons from brutalizing the countryside and we're going to have this woman that probably wouldn't be able to have the strength to pull the longbow but she is leading the archers, they're all hit in the woods And they dip their arrows in tar and they light those missiles and they put them in those longbows and they let them fly high in the air. And you see hundreds, thousands of arrows streaming into the sky and they turn and they come crashing down upon these Saxons. Well, how did these ancient warriors guard themselves from that kind of an attack? And what you see them do in in Arthur in the movie, and this is what they did in the ancient battlefields, is they carried with them a shield that was like a door. In fact, the Greek word for this shield is the word in Greek for door. It was about four and a half feet long. It's about two and a half feet wide. It's uh, made out of, for those of you that are, are woodworkers, it's made out of laminated two pieces of wood that are glued together, kind of an early form of lamination. They covered that with some fabric material and then leather. They would put around the edges metal shielding so that it wouldn't break on the ground. And then they would also put some metal possibly on the shield in different various places. They'd soak that whole thing in water before they went on the battlefield. So you needed to have a really strong arm to be able to carry one of these things. But when they saw those arrows coming, they would huddle together. And they'd huddle in groups, say, of 20, 25. And everybody's down like this and with their shield covering it's like a big turtle shell and so that when those arrows strike they hit those shields and they're protected you turn to ephesians chapter 6 today the apostle paul is going to talk to us about that shield he's talking to us about what he calls the shield of faith and you might not believe that you've been in a war this week but you have If you know Christ is your Savior, if there's come a time in your life when you've received the good news about Jesus, and we're going to be talking about that this morning. If you haven't, I pray that even maybe before I get through this morning that you'll open your heart to Jesus. But if you have come to that time when you've learned about who Jesus is, you learned that he paid the pardon for your sin, that he paid the price of your sin on Calvary, that he covered the guilt that you had and made it possible for you to have eternal life and you invited Jesus to come to live inside your life, 
then automatically you become one of the evil one's enemies. The Apostle Paul believes that this present world that we're living in is not a neutral zone. It is a battlefield, and right now the battlefield is controlled by the powers of darkness. Right now in the world, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And so we become part of the enemy because we've joined with the forces of Jesus. We've joined with the forces of truth that we've talked about and righteousness. And we've talked about the the need for dependability and truthfulness. And that's just not truth generally, but we become truth tellers through the power of Jesus. We actually become righteous people who don't live according to the way that the world lives. We now live a new life in Christ, and it transforms us. And we now have a peace in our heart. That's the good news. We have peace with God, and we have peace with one another. I talked to you last week about the importance of having the Holy Spirit be generating that integrity and that truthfulness and the way that we talk to one another, the way that we live that we have actual righteousness through the power of Christ in our life, and that we have peace in our relationships. That's one of the most dominant ways that we become a witness to a world that's controlled by the evil one. So if you've received Christ into your heart, you can't leave this room this morning and say, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of hang out, and it's going to be kind of an easy week. You need to realize that you're going to have incredible internal struggles. The evil one's going to hurl fiery darts at you. And if you look at Ephesians 6, that's what the Apostle Paul talks about. He says, I want you, in verse 16, in addition to all the other equipment you've taken, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet prepared with the gospel of peace, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What do you need a shield for? I just explained to you what you needed a shield for in the ancient battlefield. It's this large door-like double laminated wood with metal on it that will protect you as you go out on the battlefield from archers that want to take out your life. This idea is that you need protection in your life. What is the protection? The Apostle Paul tells us that what protects our life, and this is a shield that covers your entire body. There was another smaller shield that a Roman warrior carried that was something he carried in his left arm that he could you know, maneuver around, a much smaller shield. But the shield the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the large door-like shield that was used the way I described it, to protect the warriors from these fiery darts as they, as they mass together. What is that shield in our life? What is it that covers our entire body and protects us? It's faith. I want to talk to you about faith because in our culture, we use the word faith in a lot of different ways and they did the same thing in the first century. For a lot of you, when you talk to people about your faith, they think you're talking about what you religiously are committed to. In other words, that if if you're Jewish, you're of the Jewish faith. And what you mean by that is that you're committed... You're committed to Judaism and you go to synagogue and you go to Sabbath services and you keep the kosher laws and that's your faith. If you're from a Mormon background, you're of the Mormon faith and that means you go to Salt Lake City and you hear the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and we could go on and on. A lot of you, if you're a Baptist, you say, well, I'm of the Baptist faith or I'm a Bible church or I'm the Bible church faith. It's one of the ways that we use the word faith and the way we use the word there, it's one of the different religions 
you live in a culture that holds there's all these different religions or faiths that you can be committed to. And the idea is that they're all just the same. And you have to decide, usually it depends upon the way you were raised, what you're going to be committed to. And I want you to understand that that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He was a man that was born as a Jew and very committed into the Jewish faith, into the Jewish religion. And he was trained as a young boy under the leading rabbi of his day. He rose up in scholarly circles. He rose up in what we call church circles or synagogue circles in the Jewish culture. And he was one of the rising stars. But then he met a man who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. He claimed to be the one that fulfilled the promises that he'd been studying about from the time he was a little boy in the Old Testament. So as a Jew which Paul remained all of his life. Culturally, Paul never ceased to be Jewish. When he was with Jewish friends, he kept the Jewish food laws. He went to Passover celebrations. He went to high feasts. In fact, he got arrested as a Jew because he was visiting Jerusalem for one of their high holy days. So one thing I want to really clarify for you is that the Apostle Paul culturally stayed a Jew always. But he became a follower of Jesus. And when he talks to you about faith, the Apostle Paul isn't talking about, I used to be a Jewish person, but now I've become a person that follows the Christian faith or religion. That's not the way Paul is thinking, although 2,000 years of history have made us think a lot like that. Instead, if you look back through the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about faith as putting your confidence putting your trust, resting your whole life on a person and what you've come to know is true about them. If you look back in the book in Ephesians chapter 1, he started out the book. Just let's uh, look at some of this. Turn back to Ephesians 1.15 because when you read a word like faith, you don't want to just think what I think about it. You want to look at what the writer himself within the letter that he's writing, what does he think about when he thinks about faith? And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15... He speaks like this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, I do not cease, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Ever since I heard of your faith, and what's the faith in? It's not in Christianity as a religion, but it is in the person of Jesus. I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, and in the history of, this, of what happened, the Apostle Paul came in Ephesus, as well as other believers that came to that city. They told them what our team just did in Albania. They told them they didn't have the Jesus film, but they showed them the story of Jesus. And some of the Ephesians learned that good news, and they trusted it, and they invited Jesus to come and live in their life. And that's what it means that they put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's where the Christian life begins. And I want to ask you, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus? And I want to make it really clear that faith isn't just knowing intellectual things about the Lord Jesus. Satan, for example, knows that Jesus is God's son. Satan's demonic horde knows that Jesus lived forever and ever before he came to earth with his father. 
They know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. They know that he did the miracles. They tried to oppose his miracles. They know that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And they know that he rose again. But they do not believe in Jesus. What's the difference? They know all the facts. In fact, they even know that it's true. But they haven't entrusted their life with Jesus. They haven't turned around and turned away from their commitment to the forces of darkness and the evil that's within them and turned to Jesus to give them a new life. It's very important to be clear on this because often we have an idea that if I know the right things about Jesus, automatically that means that I've trusted Jesus, but that's not true. For example, you can go to a doctor's office and the doctor can, you know, do an MRI on you and say, you know, hey, you know, you've got some blockage there. We've got to get that fixed up and you need to take this medicine. And you can say, well, doctor, tell me the chemical makeup of that medicine. I want to look at the research of research the pharmaceutical company. And you can do research on that. You can tell the doctor, I promise you I will go to Eckerd's and I will get that prescription. You can go to Eckerd's and get that prescription. You can take the prescription home. But if it sits on the shelf, I can come over and visit you and say, well, tell me about your medicine and you can give me the chemical make of it. You can tell me what the pros are and the cons are. You can tell me everything about it. You can know everything about the medicine the doctor told you to take, but you don't trust that medicine until you put it in your mouth with a glass of water and swallow it. And it becomes part of your being. And maybe some of you are there today. In fact, that, that might be, you might not have joined us yet in this life of faith. In this, you haven't, it's possible you've never come to that moment when you decided you're going to trust in Jesus. I want to challenge you, if you haven't done that, be sure you cross over that line. And you can do that right where you're sitting. A lot of what we're going to talk about this morning has to do with salvation. Faith is our commitment to Jesus that begins us in this life of closeness with him. The helmet we're going to talk about is the helmet of salvation that comes the moment we invite Jesus to come to live in our life. If you haven't done that, right where you're sitting, Jesus is knocking at your heart. You should just say to him, Jesus, I need you. I admit to you that I am a rebel against you, that there's, a, there's things inside of me that are evil and that I've done evil things, that I can't pay the bill myself and I want you to come into my life and I will trust, I will put my faith I will put my confidence in what you did for me when you died on the cross to forgive me. And then I'm going to trust that you rose again from the dead and the power of your resurrection is what I'm going to cling to, what I'm going to trust in, what I'm going to depend upon my whole life so that when I die, whenever that might be, I know that because you rose again from the dead, I'll rise again and go to live with you. And one day you're going to come back. You're going to take my personality to live with you immediately. And you're one day going to come back and give me a new body and give me an eternal body and I'm going to live with you forever and ever and ever. That's what the Ephesians believed and that's what I want to challenge every one of you to believe as well. The Apostle Paul goes on in chapter 2, verse 8. He comes back to this idea. These are very famous verses that you all know. For by grace are you saved through faithful attendance at Milothian Bible Church. For by grace are you saved because you've lived such a good life. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see how Paul comes back and he hammers us with his glorious truth. For by grace are we saved through faith. Grace means that we don't deserve it at all. 
that we are enemies, that we're, that we're the ones in that battlefield that are the bad guys. And yet by a miracle of God's love, he opens the door of salvation to us. I pray that the church family, we never get over the incredible wonder of the fact that we have received this gift. But how do you receive the gift? You have to have faith. You have to appropriate it for yourself. You have, I'm using a lot of different words to try to get across to you what Paul means. You have to personally come to that time in your life when you open your heart and you let Jesus come inside of you and you rest in him. It's all about the person of Jesus. And it's by grace. My daughter Janae from Argentina, she's carrying on a correspondence with one of our Jewish professors from UT. And she wrote me a letter say, Dad, check this out. Because He asked me, what's the essence of Jewishness? Because they've been debating all year, what does it mean to be Jew? If you're from a Jewish background, there's tremendous debate in Israel and in the United States about what's the essence of Jewishness. For example, can you be Jewish if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? A lot of Jews believe you cannot be Jewish if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah because that would make you a Christian. So Janae's wrestling with this, but she started out her paper by saying, I'm going to begin with what's the essence of being a Christian? And so she spent the first part of her letter to this Jewish friend, this Jewish professor, about the essence of being a Christian. And she made the distinction that I'm making with you today. And she focused on that it's, it's dependence upon this person that lived 2,000 years ago. And what you learn about what he did for you. And the essence of Christianity is someone that had trusted in Jesus as a person. She related back to Jewishness. The essence of real Jewishness is the trust the Yahweh of the Old Testament as a person. And I challenged her to think more in terms of a specific father, God, that talked to Abraham, the founder of the Jewish nation, that actually appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. And I believe that we get Jewish people to see that the essence of their worship and the essence of Jewishness is a commitment to that Yahweh, and they open their heart to that Yahweh. Eventually, that Yahweh will lead them to Jesus because Jesus is Yahweh. If we get that kind of openness and integrity. But Janae is trying to drive home this point that it's not about what we obey, not the food that we eat. It's not who we were born, what family we were born in. But it's this commitment of trust in a personal God that's really there. And for us as believers in Ephesians 2, it's by grace are you saved through faith in this person of Jesus. Paul goes on and develops this a little bit further. We look at uh, chapter 3 verse 12. This freedom that we have in Christ. Look at verse 12. This is an incredible verse. It says, in him, that is in Jesus, not because we're a member of Midlothian Bible Church, not because we're religious, but in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So what happens when we trust Christ? It means every one of you that have invited Jesus to come into your heart this week, when the fiery darts of the evil one attack your life, I want you to know you have the confidence and boldness you can talk to God. Often when I'm with people that are new in the faith, they're afraid to pray. And I understand that because it's kind of a very personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. I'm sure there's probably some of you that if I asked you to pray right now, you'd be scared to death. Well, if it's just because of your human fear, that's fine. But if you feel in your heart, well, I'm not sure I pray the right things. I'm not sure that I really make contact. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then this morning I want you to know based upon God's word that with freedom and confidence that you can approach your daddy's throne anytime, any moment, any place, in any situation. One of the things that thrills me as a pastor of our church family 
is that often I'm in situations where you don't ask me to pray. I'm often in situations in the hospital where there's a group of you there and somebody will turn and and it'll ask like another man, another daddy to pray. You have no problem at all. Why do you believe that? Because you have been taught you're all priests. And I'm glad to pray for you. It's one of the things that an elder should do. And you're sick, you should call for the elders and they should anoint you with oil and we'll do that. But I love this church family because I'm often in situations where I see confidence. You as as a born again believer will say, I can pray. And I have confidence that I can pray. And that's what Paul is talking about. I want you all to know that. I don't want anybody sitting here today feel, if you know Jesus is your Savior, that you need someone else that's an ecclesiastical authority to pray for you. The Apostle Paul is telling all the Ephesians that because of their faith, they can boldly approach the throne of God. So our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is received as a gift of grace. And that grace that comes to our life gives us incredible confidence People tell me all the time, you guys are so informal. It's almost like you're casual in your relationship with God. How can you be like that? I mean, I, I think God is the great exalted king, and I think we need to be very distant from him. There needs to be off him, and I agree with all that. I really believe my daddy in heaven is the great and awesome king of the universe. There's a part of him that scares the you-know-what out of me. He's so powerful. But my precious Savior tore down every religious veil No titles, no robes, no buildings. And he lets me walk into the presence of God. It's his precious son. And my daddy in heaven calls me Dave because I am his son and I can talk to him just like Janae and Jonathan and Joel and Joshua and all of our kids don't have any house at all butting in any time, any place and talking to me just the way your kids do. That's what this boldness and confidence is about and it comes by faith. The Apostle Paul wasn't done. In chapter 4, verse 5, you say, well, what do you believe? In one word he talks about in 4, 5, he says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And here the Apostle Paul uses the word faith to encapsulate all that the Ephesians believed. And this is close to what I started out with. Like You can use the word faith, like the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, as just to encapsulate all that we have. But for us as New Testament believers, I want you to feel the power of that because this one word faith just nails what started it all for us and what continues it for us and what we're depending upon today. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Then he goes on in chapter 4, verse 13. This one day this faith is going to bring us to unity in Christ. He says, to prepare God's people for the work of the service in verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Notice how the Apostle Paul relates our faith to our knowledge, which is our intimacy with the Son of God, which causes us to keep growing to the fullness of Christ. You say, Dave, where do you get all this talk about intimacy? That's where I'm getting it from. Then we pull over to the end of the book. The Apostle Paul ends the book by saying, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all of you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God. He begins this book talking about the Ephesians' faith. He ends the book talking about the believer's faith. From first to last, the shield that protects us is our confidence, our trust in Jesus. How does it work? Satan's going to throw two kinds of fiery darts against you. 
One of the fiery darts is illicit physical pleasures or illicit present-day pleasures. The other kind of fiery darts he throws at you, according to Gurnall, who wrote, he's a Puritan that back in the 1650s wrote, I think he preached for about 12 years on this passage about the armor of the Christian. It's called the Christian's Complete Armor, and it's still powerful today. He talks about two kinds of fiery dart that the evil one throws at us. One is illicit pleasures. The second one is fear and horror and doubting and dread. In other words, he calls them the light arrows, which are illicit light, and the dark arrows. And some of you can look back over this week and you've faced the powerful, enticing light arrows that look so seductive. What does faith enable you to do? Faith enables you that when Satan shoots his arrow at you and says, you've got to have that new house, and you you look at your budget, and you say, man, there's no way that this adds up, and, and the scripture tells me that I need to be confident, and I need to be restful in what I have, but your best friend has just eaten with you, and they just moved into a house. It's by a lake, and they just bought all new furniture, and everything inside of you is saying, man, I've always wanted that. I got to have it. Maybe we can stretch it. And what you're thinking is that the scripture says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house or their land or their maidservant or their, or their, their wife or their husband. What this faith enables us to do is to be able to say, Lord Jesus, my confidence is in you. I don't feel good about life because I live in such and such a house. I feel good about life no matter what house I'm in because I have you. And so it helps me to see that if I actually got in that house, faith helps me to realize that in about a year or two years, I'm going to be tired of mowing the lawn. I'm going to be tired of vacuuming the thing. There's going to come a time in my life where the thing is just way too big and I need to get rid of the whole thing. And it just isn't worth it to just passionately have to have it. Now, if the Lord gives you a house and it fits in your budget, that's a good gift from him. But it shouldn't flow from covetousness. And that's one of the fiery darts that the evil one throws at us. And faith, faith in Jesus helps us to see through that smokescreen, to really realize the truth. As I work with young people, like with our kids and with some of your kids, suddenly, you know, they'll write me, man, this person is just awesome. You know, this guy is just the most incredible thing. And he's just the most awesome guy. And... and How in the world do you save your kids? Because they're under, it's like an atmosphere that that comes over them. It's like a fog that comes into their life. Faith in Jesus is what's going to get those kids to wake up. Faith in Jesus is what's going to cause them to be able to see that lie. And that's why it's so important. I beg you today, it's so important for you to put faith in Jesus. So those are some of the fiery darts. What's the light kind of pleasure, the illicit pleasure that the evil one is throwing at your life this week? If you'll put your confidence in Jesus and let Jesus guide your life and let him teach you, then what will happen is that you'll wake up and you'll see the elusive veneer that Satan is putting before you and you'll be able to see through the reality. Jesus wants the best for you. And so he doesn't want you to have illicit pleasure because it will turn out to be a corpse. It'll turn out to be sickness. It'll turn out to be deadly for you. It'll bring you unhappiness. And Jesus, your dependence upon him is a shield that will protect you. 
The other kind of darkness that Grinnell talks about is a darkness that comes, and I often wrestle with this. It's the darkness, like when you go into the hospital room and somebody has just gotten word that they have a home-going illness, and we call it, and the medical doctors will call it, you got a terminal illness, which is really nice. It's going to be the end. That makes me wonder, like, how can God be good? When a little baby, like Blythe, my granddaughter, when she doesn't respond to her name, and I see this rat making her turn her head kind of funny and makes her hands turn in. And it's totally different from the smile that she gets me when I, I love her because that brings light. But when I see this darkness of physical disease called Rett syndrome, and I say, God, you're running the universe. How can you be good and let this happen? to this gorgeous girl that is one of ours. How could you do that? And so there's a dark arrow that pierces my heart that says, maybe you should forget about all this preaching. You know, you tell everybody that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and look what's happened in your family. Those are the dark times. When Mary lost her brother John, and that I've talked to some of you that are new to our church family, my, my brother-in-law John went home to be the Lord after his third bypass surgery. As a 40-year-old brilliant medical doctor, he died. Dad called me up and in the middle of the night and, and all the instruments went completely flat. And it was horrible. He we went up to Wyoming and we, little kids, tiny little kids don't have a dad. And there's a dart that pierces my soul and it pierces my family's soul. It pierces Mary's soul. How can God be good? This is the tough one. This is the big question. All you college students in high school, the big question is, how can God be good and how can he be all powerful? And allow all this crud to happen. And so the tendency is to say, well, there isn't God. And that's a fiery dart to the evil one. And probably some of you had that fiery dart lodged into your breastplate today or into your shield. You say, Dave, how do you handle that? The shield of faith. I cling to Jesus. You see, Jesus, when I study in the Gospels, Jesus went to gravesides and gave me a glimpse of the kingdom. He was angry about his friend Lazarus dying. And he, he wept over it. He grieved over it. He didn't say, you guys, this isn't any big deal. Death's not a bad enemy. It's not dark. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, why are you so downcast? Jesus went to the grave of his friend and he got angry and he cried just like I get angry and cry. But suppose I turn away from Jesus at Lazarus' grave. You see, what Lazarus' miracle does is, is just compress everything and give us a picture of what Jesus is ultimately going to do. He has the power to do it. If I walk away from Jesus at Lazarus' grave, who do I go to? Just a bunch of Romans, a bunch of Jewish people, a bunch of pagans, and they can't do one blessed thing about death. So if you're going to turn away from God because there's bad things on planet Earth, because little babies die, because little kids have genetic problems and they have diseases, where did you go? Where did you go? And that's a really honest question. It's like your friends say, well, I don't believe in God because look what God did. Look at where they went. Because every one of you are going to have to go somewhere. You're going to depend upon something. What I argue is, where else can I go? I might be angry with Jesus. I might not understand what he's doing. But Jesus is the one Savior that I know about that promises one day it'll be okay. And that's what the shield of faith is. The shield of faith is that trust in the midst of that darkness. When that fiery, horrible fear that horrible fear of despair and horror and gloom come upon you. And you all hit that. 
It's probably much more potent as an arrow from the evil one than, than illicit pleasures. When that darkness comes, the shield of faith says, Jesus, I don't understand what you're doing, but you cover me. You are my protector. In the Old Testament, over and over again, the shield is God himself. For us as New Testament believers, the shield is Jesus himself. We're going to go on and we'll talk uh, next time we get together about the helmet of salvation. We're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit and how we use it. But this morning, the major thrust is this commitment, this dependence. What are you trusting in as the fiery arrows hit you? Now, when I close with where I began, some of you are trying to do this all by yourself. And when you face the fiery darts of the evil one, and like it can be a physical illness or a potential one, or it can be a child that's wandering away, there's tremendous pressure on you to break from your fellow soldiers and to try to handle it all by yourself. And I want you to know that I really feel that too. When I'm really hurting, when I've really gotten hit by a fiery dart of the evil one, tremendous temptations come to leave the group soldiers in the ancient world remember how i started out they huddled together and they put their shields up and they protected one another and that's why you're here today that's why you're in a church american believers often are individual soldiers But the book of Ephesians hasn't just been about one soldier that's armed, but it's been about a body that we've been called to and the bride of Christ that we've been called to in a group. So I want to challenge every one of you to realize that as we fight against the evil one this week, as we fight against this prince of darkness, that we do it together as a group. And everything in your American culture is pushing you away from that and isolating you. And we're going to work with you as as biblical leaders for you we want to challenge you don't quit on your brothers and sisters get close to your brothers and sisters so i want to end as i talk to you about resisting the fiery dart to the evil one you don't do this all by yourself you do it together father i pray that the shield of faith would guard our lives some of my brothers and sisters need their fellow brothers and sisters to hold their shield of faith over a doubting brother or sister today. That's why we need to be in a group because sometimes doubt causes us to put our shield down and help us to cover one another in vulnerable times just the way warriors do in the battlefield. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you would protect us from doubt financially, that you would protect us from doubt in the power of the gospel. And I just want to pray, Lord, that we would band together, that none of us would try to do more than we're able, that we won't step over the bounds of what you have planned for us to do. But I'd ask you, Lord, that we would open our eyes just to see the incredible wonder of this gospel of peace that you want to bring into people's lives. And Lord, I do pray that as we've talked about the fiery darts of illicit pleasure, and the dark, fiery darts of fear and doubt and the agony of unresolved problems because of illness and death and bad things that happen to good people. Lord, I pray that Jesus and our trust in him would protect us today. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you're a shield. I thank you that you're going to protect each one that's sitting before me today. I thank you, Lord, that you'll protect them and take them all the way home to be joined with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.